Yo, check us out. Chuck D, public enemy. Yo, what's up? This is DJ Yellow from the world's most dangerous group. What's up? This is DLC, the Diggy Diggy motherfucking God. Yo, 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 what's up? This is your boy, Z-Man. What up, dog? This is Esha. This is Jerry Heller, motherfucker. This is your boy, DJ Paul, KOL for 36 Young Busy Ball. Vice One. This is your man, Matt, mine, the hell razor. Yo, this is DJ Ready Red. What up, what up, what up? This is the real Rick Walsh, and you listen to me on the Murder Master Music Show. So 
I'm just taking advantage of that that situation now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's always a positive thing to be in control of of all your work of art. You know, absolutely. Um, a lot of people sometimes they want to have uh, too much control over other people's creations, and that's not fair. You know, um, yeah. we see that a lot in the music industry, of course. Um, you know, but uh, to be able to have control of your own masters, that is a beautiful thing. Um, let's go back a little bit. How did you get the name The Prophet of Soul? Um, I don't know. Someone kind of named me that. I think I did a show one night, and I think the equipment had went down, the band had went down, and I sung um, uh, Luther Vandross' A House Is Not A Home. I was performing opening up for Cool in the Gang and and um, uh, Gladys Knight. Equipment went down except for the drums and the microphone. And I just went right into a house is not a home. And about three quarters through the song, all of a sudden Gladys Knight was coming down with, you know, a bouquet of flowers in her arm with tears in her eyes saying that she had never heard a version like that before, hugged me and kissed me. And then all of a sudden all the lights and all of the, the, the sound came back on and I went right into to So Fine. And I think the next day the headline, you know, dubbed me, you know, the prophet of souls, you know. Uh, and it just stuck. Yeah, that's that's so. I mean, Gladys. It's not every day Gladys Knight comes out to give somebody such a warm reception. Yeah, absolutely. Like that. I mean, that's huge. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, uh, that one of the looking back, that's got to be one of the highlights, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That 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 meant a lot to me. You know, an absolute yeah. lot. You know. Well, so fine that that uh, that was a huge record. Uh, you know, it, I imagine it did real well overseas. Do you still play that uh, to this day? Oh yeah, Everywhere absolutely. You go? Yeah, that's that's definitely a big part of you know, you know what what I do and and who I am. It really kind of defined me, you know, so to speak. Because like a lot of people didn't know that you know I was the lead singer of a group called Night, and we had a pop hit. 1979 called If You Want It. So a lot of people didn't know me, you know, because that was really my background at at that particular time. And So Fine was such a far cry away from, you know, the kind of music I was doing with Nightflight. So, you know, people just learn as, as they go along, as I go along. You know. Now, you were the lead singer of Nightflight, right? Yes, yes. And, um, you know, what, what happened with that? You just uh, decided to go solo or? Well, uh, we did two albums, and I actually had a car accident right before the second album with Night Flight, and Ooh. we kind of had some disagreements about certain things, and I only sung on a couple of songs on that record, and I just chose to go in a different direction. A friend of mine, Howard Smiley from TK Records, uh, offered me, uh, a deal uh, because he had a deal with Kashif and those guys, a production deal, and I, I'm glad I took that deal. <laughs> you know, because Night Flight never did another record after that second album. Yeah, yeah, that's a, um, you know, good thing you you did take that deal. Uh, I got the homie Terrell uh, on the line. I'm going to bring him on. He's a uh, cool. uh, homie who set this uh, up. Uh, Terrell, what's up, homie? You there? Yeah. What's and, going on? What's up, Howard? <laughs> hey, what's happening, Bob? Hey, what's going on, brother? Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I've been I've been knowing Howard for ooh for some time now. <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed. Time, Good man. friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my brother right there, man. So yeah, no, and everything like that, man. But um. Yeah, we was um uh, I was uh, you know talking with an old friend of mine about Howard and um you know just growing up on his music so fine cuz uh you know Steve Stark double S used to spin his music all the time man and you know it just played a big soundtrack in our lives 
you know, during that time, me being a kid and, you know, him just being legendary, being a um, soundtrack in all our lives growing up out here in America. So definitely, we definitely talking to a legend, an icon. Uh, I want to thank you, brother. Yeah. Thank (laughs) you on that, man. I'm honored and, and, yeah. and humble. I was just a guy that was in the right place at the right time. I think it could have happened to anyone. I'm, I'm glad that it happened to me, but, you know, I, I just try to stay humble and just, just a common man that, you know, just was given an opportunity that I was ready that I, just you know, took advantage of. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, and, and, and you know, it, that's a beautiful thing, too, because, uh, you know, there would be no hip hop without, you know, genres like soul, R and B, blues, you know, um so you guys really helped pave the way for hip hop. Um do you did you have any um dealings in, in, in the hip hop genre at all? Um no, not not really because I think, you know, Kashif and 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 those guys you know, Teddy, Teddy Riley were really the beginning of hip-hop that kind of created, you know, hip-hop. So, you know, after the fact, I was still, I'm, I'm a I'm a product and a child and a student of Motown and Stax. So we yeah. were approaching things in a very different way. We were really trying to hone our, our craft, uh, you know, following up to the Smokey Robinsons and the Four Tops and the Stevie Wonders, the Earth, Wind, and Fire. So, uh, so no, not not really. But I, I know a lot of hip hop, you know, kind of comes back to the basis of what we started, and we really didn't start it. We just kind of changed it and put a different, you know, vibe to it or whatever. So, no, not really. Never got a chance to really get into hip hop, but I was fortunate enough to have uh, been. A producer, uh, me and Battle Cat, did I Get Around for Tupac, but that's still really more rap than it is, you know, hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was it like? Um, well, Battle Cat's a legendary uh, producer. Um, what was it like working with him, and then what was it like working with Tupac? Like, how was the recording process? How was it in the studio, the vibe? What was all that about? Well, it, it was the Tupac was probably one of the most intelligent, you know, musicians, one of the most intelligent human beings that I ever had the opportunity to to be around. He was very, very articulate and intelligent. So spending the time that we spent with him was just incredible. And working with Battlecat, he's like an incredible encyclopedia of soul music, you know. So it was incredible to be able to work with the both of them. To have that privilege, you know. Yeah, Tupac. Uh, unfortunately, he was taken way too soon. I mean, he was only twenty-five. Way too soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you worked with him, he was he was even younger than that. Obviously. Um, yeah. What did you know that? I mean, he was already on his way. But did you know that he was going to be as big as he was? You know what? It's kind of unfair. Because if I say no, then I, then then you don't recognize genius. If I say yeah, then it's just a given. So, but I knew he was was special. This industry is so fickle. It's so strange. The industry is fickle and strange, and people are fickle and strange. So you never know gonna hit what's gonna happen. What's gonna be a hit? So it's kind of hard to say because I'm kind of stuck between the, the both. I knew that he was definitely special as I know the Battle Cat special as Leon Silvers. Uh um uh, a lot of different people that I've worked with, you know, Kashif, Paul Lawrence Jones, all of those guys were special. You can you can just feel it, you know, when you walk into a room or when they walk into a room, they just have a, a certain thing about it, you know. Yeah. Just you know. They got that it yeah. factor. And that that was a big song, you know. Um, yeah. That uh, everybody knows. I get around, you know. Um, um, but you know, going going back to um, 
you know, so fine. Uh, when you recorded that, like, uh, ultimately, you 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 probably knew that this was going to be something something pretty big. I would imagine. No, not really. The first time I heard "So Fine," I hated it because it wasn't oh, wow. so fine as we know it ended up being. When I heard it, yeah. it was a it was a commercial. Uh, there's a cake, uh, like a Twinkie cake that exists in New York that was called Drake Cakes. So when I heard it, he played it. It said Drake Cakes, Drake Cakes taste great. And I was like, dude, what is that? I said, that's a commercial. I'm not doing that. He says, no, you know, I'm going to change it. I said, well, you need to change it or you need to give it to Evelyn King. I hate that. I don't want to hear. I don't want to be singing about no Twinkies or whatever. So I left the studio, and when I came in the next day, man, I heard, ooh, so fine, so fine. Blow my mind, baby, baby, baby. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, yo, did you give that to Evelyn? He says, no, I saved it for your arrogant ass. (laughs) So when I first heard it, I I didn't like it, but it wasn't so fine as the form that that we all know today. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we're uh, going to go to a quick break. We're going to actually play so fine and um, let our listeners get a chance to hear it, and then we're going to come back and uh, chop it up some more. We got Howard Johnson. Don't go nowhere.
Yeah, we're back right here, episode 756. Howard Johnson, that's so fine. Um, man, that's uh, hard to believe, you know, that was recorded in 82. Uh, <laughs> was 40 years old. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're going to do any kind of like uh, a lot of people are, you know, pressing up anniversary, you know, collector's items and things like that, merchandise, maybe something, you know, uh, for 40th anniversary. Yeah, well, we're we're thinking about putting together something back, re-releasing it. We had talked to Snoop Dogg about him being on it, so you know, we we got something in the works. Definitely got oh, something Snoop. in the works. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Um, did did E Forty sample that song? Yeah, a couple of people sampled it. You know, well, not a couple, quite a few people sampled it. You know, a lot of people was, oh man, why didn't you go after him? I was like, you know what? We're we're all a, a big family, you know, and I understand about trying to survive or whatever. But you know, hey, if I can bring something to the party, then something's brought to the party. It keeps me relevant, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, what what about uh, you know after all this COVID, uh, you're talking about overseas and things of that nature. You got plans on hitting the road? Oh, absolutely. That that that's really my my bread and butter is you know being on the road. So yeah, of course. You know, I I got shows already booked in Germany, Portugal, France, the UK. So yeah, once this thing kind of gets lifted, we're we're back at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I kind of have a bigger following overseas than than I do here, unfortunately. You know what's it's like that I've noticed uh uh Howard it's like that um with a lot of the hip hop artists too. Uh yeah. their their base is, is is really overseas in places like Germany, France and stuff like that, so Yeah, I I think part of it is is that we're we're in such a fast food mentality society here. It's like toilet paper. We just kind of kick one another to the curb, but then all of a sudden everybody's all crying and freaked out when somebody's died and they're icon and, oh, they were great. And it's like we don't pay homage. We don't, you know, the old saying, we don't give flowers while we're alive. We're, we're giving them when they're dead. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, it's on to the next thing, you know. Uh, oh, let's go and listen to Cardi B and listen to, and no disrespect to Cardi B, uh, just use her name because it was right on the tip of my tongue. But, you know, and, and it's like it's just unfortunate that that's what it is, that, you know, you've got to constantly prove yourself, you know, in, in, in being good at what it is that you do, you know. So it is what it is. Right, right. So, Howard, uh, question. Um, what was it like with uh, dealing with death row? Well, I didn't deal directly with Suge, but I dealt with, I was the vice president of Lifestyle Records, which belonged to Harry O and Lydia Harris. And Harry O, as everybody knows now, was the one that put up the money for Death Row. So we never really got a chance to, you know, Suge and I never met Suge or whatever, but we were somewhat of rivals because our first single was with Dana Dane, and we had Jewel on the record that never came out because she was signed to Suge, and Suge and Harry O kind of had a falling out at that particular time. That's why we never released that record. So that's when they kind of fell out and everything kind of hit the fan. So I, I never really had any dealings with you know with suge and death row but you know i was working for harry o the man that put it all together right. now what were you right. uh you you were in charge of um like all, all the music and, and uh finding talent or, or what was your role well i was in charge of everything actually i was in i was creative uh executive of dana dane battle cat Black Caesar, Poor, Broken, Lonely. We had quite a few artists that were already on the label that we pretty much inherited it when we got, you know, Battle Cat. Yeah. 
That's a uh, that, that's history right there. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, what what was it like uh working with Terrio and um did you know uh you know this is like one of the most notorious like like drug lords in the country at the time? Yeah, of course I did. I uh, I absolutely uh knew that and a lot of people didn't know what my history was prior to that. Uh being in night flight our managers were some of the largest drug dealers in the whole United States. I didn't know it at the time. I was pretty naive to what was going on and wondered why, you know, we had uh, two Learjets at our disposal 24-7. Anytime I walk into the office and ask for 5000 they'd give me 10000 or 20000 I lived on the water. I drove a Ferrari and, you know, but I was never involved or even knew that they were, you know, in the drug business, the drug game or whatever. So when I met Harry O, there was an incident at the studio that only a few people know this story. Um, one night we were at the studio and Harry O had a lot of, you know, heavy-duty henchmen, so to speak, that worked for him and worked for Lydia. And one night all of them disappeared and she was a bit, shaking and crying and uh she you know made a call or a call came to her uh from harry o and she was screaming and yelling and you know what's going on somebody's trying to kill me or whatever and i opened up my briefcase and i took out my 45 and she freaked out and dropped the phone and i picked the phone up and you know harry o's yelling what's going on and i told him i said well i just pulled out my gun uh, I work for lifestyle. I live and breathe lifestyle. If somebody's trying to get your wife, they're trying to get me. If somebody's getting at you, they're getting at lifestyle. That means that they're getting at me. So nobody's getting at you, getting at her, getting at lifestyle because I'm representing. And from that point on, I exchanged some names of people that I knew, and we have this mutual respect. And I never got involved in the Bloods or Crips or whatever because I dealt with a higher power from where I came from. And it just never, you know, uh, got to that point where I was involved in any of that that foolishness because that's what it is to me, you know, fighting over colors and gangs and neighborhoods and places that you don't own, selling drugs. And, you know, it was just never my cup of tea and I was never afraid of that of that life so to speak I was just never going to be put into you know those those positions so he knew where I stood and and I knew where he stood and we just had this mutual respect that it never crossed any of those lines right now that that's 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 a trip because coming from where you you know where you originally from Miami Ooh, Miami was on fire during the eighties. Oh yeah, Miami was especially yeah during that drug trade. Oh man, it was so much going on. So I can right, yeah, thing you hit it on the nose because she was one of them. You know, I looked at a documentary called Cocaine Cowboys, and I was like, wow, that was going on during the eighties. Oh my, yeah, half those people that were were there, I I knew those. Yeah, it was crazy. So you, when you came to L.A., I mean, you weren't going to be intimidated. You were already around, you know what I'm saying, various things in Miami. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, hearing people talk about drive-bys and somebody beat up, and it was like, you know, that that's child's play to the things that I had been exposed to in Miami around, you know, those criminal types, so to speak that were much higher echelon than, you know, a guy doing a drive-by or shooting somebody at a party. And it's like, really? Please. That, that's stupid and idiotic, you know. So. At, at what point in time, Howard, did, um, you know, things end with uh, Harry O? Probably about two years into the situation, and um, it just kind of all dissolved. 
uh, we had a deal with Maverick, uh, you know, Madonna's label. Uh, we had a situation at Motown, and, uh, you know, everything just kind of hit the fan. You know, Harry O was trying to get out, and money just kind of start disappearing. And, you know, I, you know, I just felt that it was just time for me to move on and do what I needed to do. And I chose to walk away from that situation. Uh, you know, the, I want to shout out the late, great, uh, DJ Ready Red. Um, he was, uh, you know, the producer member of the ghetto boys. Uh, he would always talk about how, um, they met, uh, Harry O through Jay Prince. Did you meet Jay Prince back then? No, no, I didn't. No. no. Okay. My hands yeah, were they, so uh, full. My hands were so full dealing with Battlecat, Dana Dane, Black Caesar, and all the people that were in our company. I was literally working eighteen-hour days, seven days a week. I was in the studio. I was doing contracts for unions, for guys getting paid, rappers getting paid, engineers mixing stuff. Uh, locking out studios, so I really didn't have that much time to, you know, to 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 deal with anything that was beyond music. I, Battle Cat called me one day um, and said, "Hey, you know, I need Johnny Guitar Watts," and I just made a phone call, got him on the phone, and he was like, "Wow!" He says, "Oh, you know, I need to get with Patrice Rush," and I got her on the phone. It's like, dude, I've been there and done that. You know, I'm. I don't do this for a living. I live to do this. So I, I, I look at it differently even to this day. I don't sing for a living because I don't think I did that well. I live to sing. So I look at singing differently. I look at the music business differently than, than most people. And you have to be totally, in my opinion, totally emerged in, 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 in being that. You know, if, if you're going to master something, you have to know it. You have to be it. And you have to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and uh, yeah, that's. I mean, you were the mastermind, so you had a lot of work. Um, but uh, we got uh, Terrell back with us, and um, Terrell, uh, do you have any uh, any more questions for Howard? Because um, after you 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 ask him a few, I'm going to bring on the homie Sin from France. He's got a couple for you too, Howard. Okay, sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the Sugar T thing. I always wanted to know what was up with the project with you and Sugar, because I've been waiting for it. You know, <laughs> I, I think it's really oh. been it, it's a timing timing issue. I've been working on this record, which is called Compelled, that should be out. Uh, our release date, I think, is April seventeenth, uh, and I've been working on this record for almost five years. I was in the process mm-hmm. of releasing it five years ago, and then my dad died. Um, I threw everything away except for two songs. I was a year into doing it, about a year and a half, and then my brother died. I kept three songs. I threw everything away. I started again, oh. and then my mom died. So I was just so, oh, so soulfully, soulfully drained because, you know, my, my parents, you know, both sang and and I thought the world of them, they thought the world of me, and, you know, that's where I got it from. So it was kind of difficult for me to, to move through that, to move past that, you know, and then I just came to the conclusion that I had to, and I had to step up. So hence this record and, you know, this this new record that I'm working on is called Compelled. I uh, got tracks with Battle Cat, Leon Silvers, Aaron G. West, uh, Chris Kello, uh, Steve Ferrone, so it's like a who's who, and but it's you'll see a different side of me, you know, in this particular right. record. So it's taken a long time. Even the album cover is going to be probably more different and unique. It'll be a collector's item because it'll be in 3D. Uh, it'll be 180 grain, and you know you'll want to take it and, and put it in a frame. Because it's not the typical Ooh. record that that you would expect. Okay. Oh definitely, yeah, collectors love stuff like that. Yeah, wow. absolutely, absolutely. And and what I wanted to do, I wanted to do vinyl only, but I know this new age kind of you know is drawn to digital download. So I'll do uh, vinyl, 
and digital downloads, and, and that'll be it. I mean, I have a lot of my Latino fan base is trying to get me to do cassettes because now they're bringing cassettes back. So I, yeah. I, I may do a limited, a limited run of cassettes also. Cassettes, they got USB sticks, vinyl, uh, yeah. still CD. So we got all, all kinds of formats. But that's dope you're able to do vinyl. You know, the format yeah. you start out with, you're able to yeah. still do 2020, 2021. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited. Yeah. Definitely. We got to get you uh, hooked up with Guapale. You know, oh, <laughs> please don't don't mention her name, dude. I am so in love with her. I actually have a picture of her. I did a show with uh, Evelyn King uh, for for uh, uh, Kashif, and um, I think she was there. And I have a picture, and I'm not sure it's her, but man, I absolutely love her. I've always wanted to work with her. I wanted to marry her. All of the above, but we've never had a chance to, you know, connect. I mean, I just think that she's an angel, man. I've I've always, from the first time I saw her, I just thought she was just just an angel. So there I am. Yeah, she has a beautiful spirit, man. I've seen her on uh, Instagram a few times, just her whole, you know, thing about her. She's a very positive person. You know, right. So that that definitely would be a man. That'd be something to see. You know, y'all two collaborating on something and making something just grand, man. That's I agree. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Did you um did so, you ever do any with uh, Janet Jackson? Yes. As a matter of fact, I did a couple of songs for Janet that didn't make the album because of the introduction that I made. I introduced Janet to, to Jimmy and Terry. So my songs didn't make, make the album, you know, cause Jimmy and Terry just kind of dominated it, but we're, you know, we're all friends and stuff. So, so yeah, I've, I've been knowing the Jacksons. I've been friends with Jermaine Jackson actually is my best friend. And we talk like every other day from uh, Saudi Arabia. So, so yeah, I've definitely done stuff with Janet. Now, uh, uh, Jermaine, uh, you did stuff with him recently, like uh, a few years ago, didn't you? Have him yeah, on yeah, I did. Project? Yeah, we did. I did a couple of things on um, one of my uh, one of my EPs. We did a couple of songs together, and um, I was also his um, his musical director when we went to Japan and Europe, and you know, we're just real good friends. So you know, real good friends stick together. You know. Yeah, and you guys been in the music game. Uh, you guys got the longevity, um, you know, and uh, it both come from musical families, like you said, your parents, uh, you know, in, in music. Uh, what about Michael? Did you ever get a chance to work with him at all? No, we we had a chance to talk, you know, but we never got a chance to do any any work together. You know, our schedules were always kind of like on different planes or whatever. And I mean, cause when he was working, he was working a lot, you know, so he was always on the road. And then I was on the road when he was off the road. So our schedules just never got a chance to meet, but Jermaine and I worked together, traveled together, hung out together. You know, we like, you know, best friends. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, um, I'm going to bring on the, the homie sin from France. He's over there. Uh, Listening in, I'm sure he's got a couple questions for you. Sin, you there, brother? Yes, yes, sir. Hi, Scott. Hi, uh, Howard Johnson. Yes. Um, <clears throat> can you tell us about your your group, Night Night Flight, and uh, how you get the idea with the sponsorship on the on the great cover? Um, Night Flight was really called Tornado when I first, you know, joined the group. And we were sitting down one one night, Sandy and I, because Night Flight really is only two people, Sandy, Toronto, and, and myself. And we both liked airplanes because, you know, I'm an unlicensed pilot. Uh, and we liked, you know, airplanes. And we just said, man, you know, how about, you know, because we hung out a lot at night. You know, they I think they started – 
uh, Miami Vice because of me and Sandy because I had a Ferrari and he had a Porsche and we were always dressed in real cool pastel colors and stuff hanging out in Miami. So I think they based, you know, Miami Vice off of us and we hung out all night, you know, partying and stuff. So it says, man, how about night flight? And let's just change the spelling of night flight. And we changed the spelling of it and it, and it stuck. So that's how we came up with the name because we just spent so much time out at night and we both loved airplanes. Yeah. Well, I can tell us about if you want it, the single process of uh, production. Uh... We were in upstate New York at farm that, that uh, Sandy owned. And we were just sitting around one night, and he was playing the guitar, and he just came up with the da 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 And I go, what is that? This is always just something that I'm that I'm working on. I go play it again. So da 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 da. And the first thing came out of my mouth was, if you want it, you can get it. And then he joined in with the harmony with your love. And the the rest is history. And on that particular song, Steve Perone from the Average White Band was playing drums. Hamish Stewart was playing uh, guitar and background. Phyllis Hyman was doing background. So it was me, Sandy, Hamish, and, and Phyllis Hyman singing background the harmonies on If You Want It. And it was we had the Brecker Brothers. On horn, we had David Sanborn on horns, on keyboards. We had Gino Benelli's, um, you know, player. Uh, then we had on uh, bass, we had Lamont Johnson from the group Brainstorm. So it was kind of a who's who, the people that we that we were playing with, and it was just one of those songs that just presented itself, you know, Sandy and I just hanging out, kind of like what the Funk Brothers were with Motown. You put – talented people in a room together and just give them music and you you'll get magic. Yeah. Right. So and also can you tell us about your work with the late K Kashif uh for so fine song? Kashif was yeah. pretty much the, the same thing. I signed a production deal with Howard Smiley and the first time I met Kashif in we just clicked the chemistry was like perfect and then a couple of days we had some run-ins because you know he would ask me to come to the studio early which is like 10 o'clock in the morning and a lot of people don't you know studios are normally people that stay up all night you know go to studio at 12 o'clock and come out at five six seven eight o'clock but I would come in at 10 and one morning I came in about 9 30 and I don't know whether he was upset with me because I wore leather pants you know I was kind of like a hippie And he was like, man, don't you need to go and warm up? I was like, yo, man, I was born ready to sing. I don't need to warm up. So he thought I was a little arrogant, but everything that I said that I could do, I proved it the way that I could sing. And we became the best of friends up until when he died. We'd go to lunch once, twice a week, you know, uh, because we were just that, that close. We were kindred spirits. Oh, okay, right. Yes, sir. And, and you was right uh, uh, when you tell about Miami was a hard life back in the day. And we can say about a crime city because I think about the murders of uh, Notorious P, uh, Sam Sebastian, and uh, Alexander Bernard Harris. It was very hard for the CEOs at the time. Maybe you heard about it back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was 90s. Miami was a, a difficult place to to actually grow up and be around in the music business or the sports because it was so much drug money, not necessarily crime. It was more the drug money that brought the criminal elements to Miami, uh, you know, so it, it was a difficult place to be. You just had to know how to maneuver, how to work your way around, you know, Uh, the craziness and, and get to some of the best musicians in the world, you know, or in Miami come from Miami because you have to concentrate and focus on what it is, you know, you, you really want to be. 
Yeah. Right, yep. Hey, Shen, hold on one sec, brother. Uh, Terrell, uh, Terrell's got another question. Yes, Terrell, sure. you there, brother? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, Kashif, uh, I knew Kashif. Kashif was good people, man. Me and him, when I first talked to him, we clicked just like that. So I, I definitely know what you're talking about, how, it, um, you know, just a short period of time of me knowing him, we was going to hook up. And um, mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, man, so where you at? I said, yeah, man, I'm towards up in the Bay, you know. He's like, oh, yeah. He said, I can fly out there, you know, because I got peoples out there. And he's like, where you want to meet at? I said, well, we can meet up in Oakland. I can go to my cousin's house at the Brandon Park, and uh, you can we can meet up there. He's like, cool. So I was telling him at the time me and my mom was uh, in transition of moving, and he was like, well, when you and your mom get settled, give me a call, and I'll fly out there to open to uh, see you, and then we'll go over some stuff. But he always used to tell me, he's like, man, you know, I charge. <laughs> but for my music, I charge a lot of money. But for some odd reason, he took a liking to me, you know, because he, he was like the average person. He said, man, you know how it's hard to get in contact with me. He was like, man, right. I usually don't be calling nobody back. I was like, wow. Right. But, you know, he, he took a liking to me. And, you know, I'm like, man, he, he was a real good brother and stuff like that. But what I wanted to ask you, Power, have you ever did music with Shaka Khan? No. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be doing some stuff with her daughter shortly. So no, I, okay. I I did a show, I did a show with Shaka. I mean, I've I've worked with a lot of people. I've worked with with Al Green, Aretha Franklin, Stephanie Mills, Evelyn King, Freddie Jackson, Lilo, uh, D Train. A, a lot of people, you know. Er, earlier on, I opened up for Rick James and and the Gap Band and and you know those those guys, uh, Zap and Rogers. So I've kind of been around. For a minute, I just don't talk about it that much. I just try to let my work, right. you know, speak for myself. Because a lot of people sometimes get starstruck about who you know or who you are, and it's like, yeah, we're all the same. You know what I mean? We sometimes yeah. fortunate enough to be able to to do what we do and give back and touch people, and and that's what I want to do. I, I want to be remembered and have a legacy of, of of you know giving people something that's real. You know, definitely. Definitely. I heard Shaka Khan's daughter, uh, me and her is friends on Facebook, but she right. posts a lot of, of her stuff on Facebook and stuff and everything. Yeah. But she don't know we know each other, but right, we'll meet right. one day. Right. I hear you. <laughs> the world is small, man. Yes, it is. <laughs> Definitely. Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, any more questions, Scott? Is he there? Uh-oh, he disappeared on us. <laughs> I don't know. Did he? <laughs> you guys hear me? Hear me? Okay. Now yeah, sorry, we're having, we're having technical yeah. difficulties. No, I just wanted to uh, thank you, Howard, for taking the time out to you know, speak to us tonight. Um, you know, you've had a legendary career, and it's not over with. We look forward to what you got coming in the future. But before we do get out of here, I want to give you the floor um, so you can tell people where they can go to get your merch and and uh... sure, um, I'm on uh, Facebook Howard Johnson 940. I don't know why they did that, but I guess it was a lot of Howard Johnsons. And on Instagram, I'm Hojo Music H O J O M U S I C, and people can go to my webpage howardjohnsonmusic.com. I'm there. I'm there. And hopefully we'll be releasing the new album called Compelled uh, next year, April the 17th. And we're trying to arrange something probably here in Burbank, a big show where I'll introduce the new record. And, you know, hopefully this COVID situation will die down by then and, you know, sell some vinyl, have some people there selling, you know, records and other performers, you know, XL Middleton, Monique, you know, um, you know, going to try to have a few different, 
you know, other artists there to, you know, participate so people can, you know, put their hands on, on us and, and, and feel us for what we are. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, man, please be safe. Like you said, this COVID stuff, man, hopefully it's over with very soon. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's 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 crazy situation. Um, but uh, thanks again for uh, taking the time out to talk to us, Howard. You take care, yeah, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.